Welcome back to the Segment Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It's November 8th, specifically at 8.19 in the morning here in Colorado. We've got most of the usual crew to chat through the weekend bicycles. we got actually quite a few things to talk about, even though the racing season is behind us. And I believe, Shoddy Dave, we have you for exactly three minutes before you need to go pick up your daughter. So before we introduce anybody else, what are we learning about Continental this week? No, no, it's mad dab life, isn't it? I'm actually going to dash off on some Continentals to go and pick her up in a minute. But how about we talk about Continental's GP5000? They are, of course, a successor to Conti's hugely successful GP4000 tyres. Continental GP5000 tyres have quickly surpassed these as the tyre of choice for training and racing. If you've been listening to this podcast at all uh, this year, you'll already know that the GP5000 tyres are made with Continental's Black Chili Compound, Laser Grip and Vectran. But did you know that GP5000 also use Active Comfort Technology? Go on, did you? I didn't. <laughs> this revolutionary approach to cycling tyres is embedded in the tyre construction. Active comfort technology absorbs vibrations and smoothens your ride, meaning you can not only ride faster, but more comfortably. The GP5000 is available in black, tan and transparent sidewalls, ranging between 25mm and 32mm width as well. So... To put it simply, Continental GP5000 tyres are made to make you better. Right, there we are. I will bounce and go and pick my daughter up so I don't leave her stood at the roadside. <laughs> I will aim to be back here um, very shortly, folks. And it's a good thing you have some Continental tyres on your commuter bike to make sure you don't leave her on the roadside. Hey, you, right? she, she's got some on a little uh, frog bike as well that she's bashing about on at the moment. She's leaving me for, really? for dust in them. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know they made those. Shadi, thank you. We appreciate it. We'll see you next see, week. No, I'll aim to be back. Do not worry. If I am, I am. If I'm not, I'm not. Ta-ra. <laughs> We're, we won't hold our breath. We will not hold our breath. <laughs> see you in a bit, guys. Go be a dad. <laughs> All right, rest of the crew here. Abby, Mickey, you're in a van. Yep, still, still living the van life. Looks pretty great. Could use a shower at this point, but that's okay. <laughs> Dan Cash, could you use a shower? I mean, I yeah, I because it's the morning. But I, I I did take one recently. <laughs> I don't. I'm not in dire need of one. I took one yesterday after a ride. How, how recently? I, I rode yesterday oh, okay. and then I showered in the evening actually. So it's been quite recent. Mm. James, how are you this morning? I'm okay. I've I've gotten to be increasingly militant about not using water, so I just don't shower at all ever. Hmm. Interesting. Is that a is that an environmental play? What is that? Mostly because I'm cheap. Ah. Uh, water is water is expensive in Boulder, as it turns out. Is it? I've never it actually is. looked. It is. The water bill is quite expensive. It's like 140 bucks a month or something. Really? Yeah. Wow. I should pay more attention to my bills. Maybe I have mm. been paying for it. Maybe I owe the water company a lot of money. It's entirely no possible. Idea. It's entirely possible. All those, all those showers you're taking. Uh, I mean, I, I, haven't, right. I haven't taken a shower in like two years. Think of all the money I've saved. It's amazing. <laughs> Let's get into today's episode. We've got some news for you. We've got EF stepping in to, well, actually, they're not stepping into the Women's World Tour. They're, they're sponsoring a team that has existed for quite some time. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. Nonetheless, it's an exciting development. We're going to hear from Lawson Craddock, who is moving on from many years at EF and Slipstream and whatever else uh, to go ride for Bike Exchange. We're going to talk about the Track Champions League, which happened over the weekend, to enormous fanfare, massive PR push, and I'm not sure anybody actually cared or watched, but it was actually pretty cool. And we think maybe people should care and watch. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're going to talk about Pipo Pizzato getting COVID and kind of being sad about it. We're going to go through some of our breakthrough stars for this year. We've got six of them. No, wait, 12 of them. Sorry. 
We've got 12 of them total. Maybe we'll take three from each from each story. How about that? 12 is a lot. We're going to briefly, briefly talk about some news on cyclingtips.com site regarding a paywall. I'll, I'll explain that in a little bit. And then in today's Nerd Nugget, Pinarello has a new gravel bike. Cross bike, not a gravel bike. Sorry. We're going to talk about the Pinarello cross bike at the end of the show. All right, let's get into it today. Let's start with the EF Tibco news, Abby. What's what's going on here? This is this is pretty exciting from a a funding standpoint, but it's not actually, you know, EF with a women's world tour team, right? Yeah, um, really awesome news that EF is coming on board to sponsor the longtime running Tibco Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, Linda Jackson has been running that women's team. It's the longest running women's team in the U.S. for the last 17 years and has kind of gone through uh, phases of the team being a European team racing exclusively in the U.S. The last handful of years they have been on the european side and making waves i mean they had some really good results with allison jackson when she was on the team before she went to sunweb so that was 2018 they had some great results with lauren stevens has been kind of up there um and they got their first world tour victory with um kristen faulkner at the ladies tour of norway this year so it's it's been they've been around for a really long time and Linda said that one of the biggest issues running the team is that they're they're a feeder team. They get all these amazing they find amazing talent. Uh Linda has always been incredible at finding talent where you wouldn't want you wouldn't know where to look. Uh she heard about Kristen Faulkner for, through a friend who just knew her power numbers, which is why she'd never raced before last fall <laughs> um which is wild um <clears throat> but she said she was she was tired of losing riders to the bigger teams and so when it came to 2022 she wanted to bump the team up a notch make them world tour and when she did that she started looking for sponsors and ef was kind of the perfect the perfect match um the they were really really interested in paying the women the men's world tour minimum salary and uh, we're just really keen on being part of the world tour. It's kind of been a it's been a rumor that they were going to join the world tour in some capacity, um, maybe have a women's team branch off from the men's team, which is not this. But um, instead, yeah, they came on to sponsor Tibco Silicon Valley Bank, a title sponsor. And that deal is for the next two years, uh, the length of their world tour contract. So Really awesome news on the women's world tour front. From my understanding, uh, oh, so 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 I should say EF owns the men's team, right? Which is I think relevant here because from my understanding, it's yes, it's going to be a, primarily a cash deal. EF is is sponsoring this existing existing team, but I think that they're also going to be doing a bit of help with sort of the, some of the backroom stuff, particularly in the media and PR side, um, which is good because frankly, that's a that's an area where a lot of solo women's programs kind of struggle. They often don't have PR people. They often, they sometimes don't even have press officers. Uh, so that, I think that's a good thing as well. If they're, if they're going to dump a bunch of money into this EF has a, well, they want to get as much as they can out of it. Right. Which means that dealing with media and dealing with press is a high priority. And they, that that's clearly the case. So it's not exactly just a, a pure cash deal, uh, but it's also not, like we said, it's not an EF women's team, right? It's not. It's not a women's uh, world tour offshoot of the existing slipstream a, men's team. Yeah, yeah. It does a disservice to Tibco and Silicon Valley Bank, who've been sponsoring this team for a really, really long time and are putting up a lot of money as well to just kind of call this EF's women's team. <laughs> I think, um, but it is true that a lot, a couple of the sponsors of the men's EF Education First Nippo team are coming on board to sponsor EF Tibco Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, Rafa is a huge one. Um, Rafa's leaving Canyon SRAM to sponsor this team. So that also means a ton of PR and media support towards the team that I think is going to see the team become a very popular team in the next couple of years. I mean, they, they, uh, 
with by sponsoring Canyon Stram, they made that super distinctive jersey that is one of the favorite jerseys of everybody in the women's peloton and the men's peloton. And they do a really good job of making their team stand out from the rest. And they will do that again with uh, EF Tibco, Silicon Valley Bank. And then also Pac and Whoop will come on board to sponsor uh, the women's team. And they've already they've already got Cannondale. They've been riding Cannondales for the last couple of years. So there will be similarities between the two, but but yeah, not a branch of the team, which I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out because there's other teams like this where there's a women's team and a men's team and they are not connected. Um, FDJ, Nivella Aquitaine for Tiroscope, obviously has FDJ as a sponsor, has all of the same sponsors as the men's team, is not connected in any way. So it's kind of, that's kind of an interesting thing. And then obviously you've got men's teams that have a women's team that are very much part of the one team. So yeah, I'm curious to see how this unfolds and how much the men's team helps helps the women's team kind of elevate themselves. Um, but I'm excited to see where this goes and and to see their roster because they haven't announced uh, hardly anyone yet and they've already lost Kristen Faulkner for the reasons that Linda explained um, to Bike Exchange. So, yeah, cool stuff. All good news. There's, there's actually quite a bit of kind of transfer news uh, in the American mail cyclist market at the moment. Chad Haga is on the move. Lawson Craddock is on the move. Uh, Dane, you talked to Lawson. We're going to hear from him in a little bit. But Chad Haga is going back to rally. Now, what's kind of more interesting to me than just this single move is what this move and a bunch of other moves at rally kind of mean going forward. What is this program trying to do right now? I think this is a another step similar to the ones that they have taking, been taking over the past few years to uh, continue to strengthen their roster for a mostly European schedule, which is a sort of two, two factors in, in making that happen. One, they wanted to increase their European calendar, and I think they do have, and, and they've been open about this, uh, lofty goals of perhaps one day being World Tour. I mean, only a few years ago they were a continental team, and then they moved up to Pro Continental, which is now called Pro Team. Uh, so they are now a second division team, and they race mostly in Europe now. Uh, and that's what they wanted to do uh, all along, but that they kind of also have to because there really aren't any other top-tier races in the U.S. anymore, unfortunately. Uh, and yeah, this is an, another signing. I mean, Hague has got a ton of experience racing at the World Tour level. He has a Grand Tour stage win under his belt. Uh, they went out and signed Ben King uh, last year for you know similar level of experience, and, and he has Grand Tour wins as well. And I do think that they are eventually planning or hoping uh, to have a roster strong enough to contend at the World Tour level. Uh, they also, one of the big things that they did uh, over the past couple of years, both the men's and the women's teams, uh, was started signing non-North American riders. Uh, they had a very, uh, it was a very important part of their program to to be the team that had North American riders and for a while only North American riders. Uh, but since since over the past few years, basically they have signed some non-American uh, slash Canadian riders. Uh, and yeah, so long story short, this is all, I think, building towards a potential push for the World Tour. I don't think that's going to happen um, in the in the immediate future. I think the roster still needs uh, some some uh, improving before they get to that level. And I don't know that that's their plan anytime very soon. But they are definitely uh, working towards growth. Uh, it's just sort of a longer term growth than I think... Uh, uh, many people might realize it's a very gradual process. And, and Chad talked about this. I, I spoke with Chad Hager last week and he talked about how it was all about gradual growth for this team. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear here. I love Chad, uh, but they're basically picking up American world tour level riders at the, in the second half of their career, right on the, I don't want to say downward tilt, but the second half of their career, they're not picking up bright young 22 year old world tour talent, right? They don't have any marquee, world tour level riders at this point they have a bunch of guys who yes they've had they've found success but you know chad will be the first to tell you most of the time he's riding as a domestique right that's the level rider that they're picking up so far if they actually did want to make that jump up they would need they would need some marquee talent which they don't quite have yet and they actually have quite a track record of many of their marquee talents if you look at some of the best americans right now 
leaving the team after kind of reaching a level where they could go race in Europe. Again, this is something that uh, else that, that Chad mentioned. So Chad Hager himself used to ride for this team back when it was the Optum Kelly Benefit Strategies team. Uh, Sepkus rode for the team. Brandon McNulty rode for the team. Uh, superstar podcaster Abby Mickey rode for the team. They have a great track record of developing really talented people and then having them leave. Uh, and so I, I think this is a goal for them for that not to happen. Uh, but it could, yeah, like I said, it just could be a little bit down the road uh, because they're not quite there yet. But yeah, in the in the past, and and, and Chad mentioned this, they were open with their riders, with, with Chad at least, and, and uh, he, he mentioned how he appreciated this at the time when they basically told him, hey, you, you should go leave. You should go ride in Europe because you can. Uh, and, and that was, I think that was a different rally team, a team that was going to say that to kind of tell their riders, hey, this would be best for your career. Uh, at this point, I think they're a little more interested in keeping talents like like a young Chad Hago or a young Sepkus. Uh, whether they're able to do that when you have teams like Yumbo Visma and UAT Emirates, Team Emirates with their big budgets, you know, offering riders like Kuss and McNulty opportunities, that's a that's a tough tough ask, but it's something I think is a, a goal for them uh, moving forward. The other name that we keep throwing around here is Lawson Craddock. He's on his way from EF to Bike Exchange. Dane, you... I was going to say talk to him, but you're actually going to talk to him in the future. So I don't know what you're going to say to him. I don't know what you're going to ask him. You don't know what he's going to say. But sometime shortly after this podcast, you were talking to him, and then we will put it back in thanks to the magic of editing. And the listeners wouldn't have known that, except you've just blown our cover, and now they'll know. <laughs> I, I'm always honest with our listeners. 100%. That's fair, yeah. Nothing but the truth. All right, let's hear from Lawson. Uh, first off, what... Uh... What motivated you to sign with Bike Exchange? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, they're, they're a team with a, quite a bit of history and a lot of success in the past. Uh, uh, they're Australian, and, you know, I think with you know, the U.S.-Australian connection, they're actually quite natural as well, which uh, which was a big factor. But I think, like, one thing that kept standing out to me about their team was really just the, the culture surrounding it. Um, they, you know, like, they... they they work hard, uh, but they also play hard. And I think that really fits pretty well into, uh, my ethos too. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I've known, I know quite a few guys from the team. I've raised with them for a long time and, and yeah, just you can't help but be inspired by how they've raced in the past. And then the success that they've had there, you know, they have great leaders, uh, great leadership, it seems like. And yeah, I, I think a combination of all that, I think got me really excited. So when the opportunity came and, I really just jumped straight on it. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy and very fortunate to, to get the opportunity to be there next year. What's the kind of role that you're expecting to play and, and that they're expecting you to play uh, as you make the move? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've carved out a, a role as you know, quite a important domestique for, for teams in the past. Um, I really feel like I, I showed that on EF throughout the last couple of years. Um, I stepped in that role and, and actually <laughs> – was pretty good at it so uh i think they you know i think the expectation is for me to more or less be be you know one of their one of the domes, main domestiques for for the leaders um I'm, i really feel like i'm uh a jack of all trades i guess and can pretty much do anything and everything in the sport and while maybe i don't win a lot of races i i think i can really be a valuable resource to the teams that do um yeah so I think, you know, when push comes to shove, they have, you know, a sprinter with, with Caden Grove and Michael Matthews. And, and I've shown that I can help in the lead house before. I've shown I can get in breakaways with some of these guys and, and help help them win out of them. But I've, I've also shown I can, you know, I can climb and, and, and race pretty well uphill. Um, so I think that there's a lot of expectation for me just to be be there for, for the team um, over across all terrains and all, all races. Uh, so I'm really excited about that, and I, I think also there should be a couple more chances than I've had in the past where I can, you know, pursue opportunities um, on my own. So I, I definitely, definitely stoked for that. Uh, stoked for that chance. Um, yeah, I mean, you watch how the team races, how they always race, and it's just really quite aggressive. Um, almost every day they're looking for a chance to win, and and. You know, some days and a lot of times in the sport, it may not work out. It's just not as easy as it looks. But um, I think there's something to be said about 
finishing these races and, and knowing you gave it all. And, and, and I think that's a, a big factor with bike exchange and one of the biggest reasons why I'm so excited about heading there. You've, you've got the, uh, American time trial Jersey. Uh, you've, you've had success kind of as a, as a climber in a handful of races in the past. Do you, do you have a sense kind of moving forward? Uh, when you talk about the opportunities for yourself specifically, uh, where you kind of plan to focus is, is it going to kind of continue to be the sort of stage races the time trials uh, breakaways yeah yeah i think i look at myself as a rider now and, and the days are my, my best days are best result days are on time trial days and and days i can get in the break uh so for sure i'd like to continue trying to focus on that um you know i'm not the best climber in the world I'm not the best sprinter not the best crosswind rider in the world but you know, I, I do have enough experience kind of in all those aspects where where I, I can, you know, force myself into the, the right situation. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited. Uh, I'm excited to keep progressing in my, my time trialing. Um, we'd love to defend the, the national champion jersey uh, again next year, and, and hopefully I get the chance to do that. Um, yeah, and so for me, I mean, I really just enjoy continuing to progress. And I think for me that's – that's what's going to be most important for me and, and, and the biggest exciting part about next year, you know, and yeah, maybe things, yeah, maybe for me, it's more, more about the journey to get to the best and, and not just, you know, being the best, if that makes sense. So it's, if we can, you know, work together as a, as a, as a team and, 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 you know, and, and keep progressing and every day feeling like we're getting better. And then I think, I think the success is to, will, will just come naturally. Uh, how, how are you going to look back on your time at EF? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, yeah, I'm, I'm just more excited about joining Bike Exchange. So, um, yeah, had a great six years with EF, but at this point, yeah, just very, very fortunate to have the chance to, to join Jordan Yaz next year. All right, next on our list of discussion topics today, the Track Champions League. Now, as I said at the start of the show, a lot of, lot of pomp and circumstance around this, a lot of uh, big PR push. Eurosport had the whole crew there. I know like Orla Shenoui was on television and all the rest. Uh, but I, we haven't seen a ton of reaction to it, and I personally missed it because uh, I was taking my weekend. Did... did did we all miss it? Everybody else miss it? Abby, Dane, you guys watch it? If if you hadn't said anything, then the listeners, again, wouldn't have known that we didn't watch it. And here you are, pulling back the curtain that doesn't need to be pulled back. <laughs> well, lucky for us, lucky for us, we have our own Kit Nicholson, who is our weekend web editor, has never been on the podcast before. Am I right? Never right. been on the podcast before. Kit, but you you did watch it. In fact, you wrote a story ahead of it explaining why people should care, and then you watched it, and I know that you have opinions. So first and foremost, uh, because we haven't really talked about this in the podcast yet, what is this thing? What is the UCI Track Champions League thing? Well, yeah, it's a good question. Um, the uh, I wasn't really sure either, but from my research, which was fairly extensive and took a long time on Saturday, uh, with the move, the movement of the the world championships to later in the season, there's this push to basically make November and December track time. Um, I mean, the the organisers have said where spring is for the classics and the Giro, summer is for the Tour de France, winter should be for track cycling. Um, they maybe not thinking quite so much about cyclocross, but, um, I think that like you do, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I, I mean, my interpretation also is that there's, you know, the, the six day stuff that is such a vibrant and kind of party like, um, event that often happens around this time. They seem to have trimmed the program a little bit and it, I feel like it's fitting into that somewhat. Hmm. So is it, is it like kind of taking advantage of the fact that you've got, maybe six day racers and other track races relatively fit right now. They're sort of able to race capable of racing, but kind of a bit of a gap that they're trying to fill in general interest in, in bicycle racing at this time. I, I mean, like you said, there is cyclocross happening right now, but uh, we know 
from our own analytics that there's there's not a ton of global interest in in Belgian cyclocross, World Cup cyclocross. Is that the gap that they're trying to fill here? I think so, yeah. And the, um, I mean, the World Championships were just a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of uh, the riders from that are have stuck around. Um, they're keeping racing, but there is that sort of end of term feel. So I think there is part of a, a bit of a spectacle to play into. There's an entertainment element that's really being pushed hard. Um, and also that, you know, the world championships, although there's a wild card system in play, you know, they get, want a really international field. The world championships are also an opportunity to, um, to qualify for these champions league races. What, what are, what are they like? I mean, I, I, I should say I turned on, I think you sent me an Instagram or something like that. Somebody sent me an Instagram. I clicked it and I watched like a couple minutes of it and there was a lot of flashing lights and some loud music and it felt kind of, you know, Ghent six, like six days style. Is that describe what you saw? You watched it over the yeah. weekend. Well, that I mean, yeah, I think I, I posted that on the group and they really drew me into that because it was this enormous, it, huge scale light show um, images projected onto the track. It looked really, truly awesome. Um, and the racing itself was, um, I mean, obviously they couldn't have the same sort of mad effects while they were actually racing but it was hard and fast the whole time i mean it was two hours racing that went by really really quickly um i mean there was maybe i mean i feel like there's actually a huge scope which was slightly unfulfilled so that all the all the events were shortened versions of familiar events um you know, not quite so many laps as we used to and slightly changed um at the sprint event for instance um, instead of having two riders go head to head, they had three riders just to give an extra kind of dynamic, a new dynamic to it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was very fast and I've seen a few reactions from the riders and they all really enjoyed the intensity of it. Hmm. I, I would, I'm not sure I would enjoy it. So that's really literally like, like doing races more frequently, like, so if you're doing it, if you're doing three people every match sprint, you probably have less time in between races, and they're they're compressing this whole thing into a two-hour schedule. Is this like a made-for-TV thing? Is it a made-for-being-in-the-track thing? What 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 is? Yeah, well, they do, the they have they are definitely a lot of the talk about it is bringing in fans, creating new fans, getting kids excited. You know, entertainment is a really big um, you know push. They really want to make it fun to watch. But I, I guess they've got just enough categories to make it not too intense. Um, you've got uh, endurance and sprint categories for men and women, so they are able to stagger it. Um, yeah, short races, two hours. Could be more races, could be two days, I think. Yeah, I, I, it was it was better than I was anticipating. It was a, it, They've obviously put a lot into it, and it's uh, did, it was entertaining. They definitely achieved that. Who won? Is there, is there a winner? Well, yeah. So that's another interesting element is that because it's the Champions League. There's this kind of bit like the general classification in a in a in a stage race. Um, you've got leaders throughout the league, and they will be wearing leaders jerseys. So there are four champions that go into next weekend in the leader jersey. Harry Lavrison. I'm not sure how you say his name. Harry Lavrison, the the the, the Dutch sprint sensation. Um, and Katie Archibald was the endurance Brit who's in the leaders' jersey. Emma Hines um, is the German sprinter. And then Corbin Strong, the New Zealand uh, endurance um, drag rider. So they'll all wear their um, leaders' jerseys next weekend. So that'll be another custom speed suit to, to you know, I don't know, to see, see what they do with that. <laughs> the suits are... are something they are something they are interesting <laughs> how do we describe them for a podcast listener who cannot see what we are what we are i guess they could google yeah them. well yeah so that's something that i mean i i'm a product design graduate who has worked as a graphic designer before getting into cycling writing so i'm very critical when it comes to bike kits cycling kits and this one is i mean it, to be fair to the designers they have definitely thought about track cycling when they're in the design uh, you know they're always going. They're always turning left. Yeah, they're always on their side. Um, and uh, so they've got 
the right sleeve is cuffed with multiple, multiple colours all taken from the flag of the Riders Nation. They've got a big block of white on their chest for sponsors, which is appropriately, well, I, I don't know, appropriately, maybe not, but for viewers, they're hidden, which is quite nice. Um, the flag on the back as well, so that's another place, and on the left shoulder. So they are, you can just about grab their nationality, but because so many of them are based on a white, uh, a white skin suit, like uh, Australia and GB, practically indistinguishable with the slightly dimmed lights, um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're a divisive, <laughs> they're a divisive design, which I guess is the way Psychic Kit mostly is, but yeah, they, they're striking and they're different. I would be in favor of the giant, uh, numbered helmets a la like the Japanese Kirin system. I think that that would be fantastic. <laughs> then you get to tell exactly who everybody is, right? Don't, didn't they do that? Didn't they do that in a, in, in a version of this prior? There was a... In the UK, there was a, a track series that did that. I think Am I so. remembering that correctly? Yeah, I think so. When I was look, looking up some comparisons, I, I think it was one of the... I don't think it was with... Well, I don't know. Maybe it was a six-day. But they were all in different colours, with big colours on their... Um, the big numbers on their sleeves and the, the coloured helmets. Yeah, they um, definitely do it in the six-days as well. Oh. Well, okay, so so people should watch this, is what we're saying. I'm going to keep watching You're it, saying yeah. that the rest of us here... The rest of us here, we we screwed up. We didn't turn it on over the weekend, and we should this coming weekend. I think they didn't actually push it enough in the run-up because it was bigger than I was expecting it to be. And I think it would be good. I think it's, you know, it'll always have teething problems, but I think it's got some great scope. Right, I'm back from the school run. I'm just watching the, uh, well, going through the YouTube videos that they've put up, and it does look... Um, I don't like how dark it is. The, like the the whole setup, it feels slightly like they've forgot to turn the lights on. And as you say, a, a previous a, a previous sort of incarnation. This is that there was a, a a British series a few years ago that had massive crowds. I I went to a couple down in the uh, when they held them in Manchester, and it was ridiculously lively. And just watching the videos on YouTube, whether they've put not the right races up, but it looks pretty sparse in the audience. Fair enough, we're under COVID restrictions and whatnot, but there just doesn't seem to be the atmosphere that I can see on camera here that there was at the the, the events that uh, are compa easily comparable to this that, that used to get in the UK. And of course, Gensick, stuff like that, which I've been to a couple of them before because they're just, well... You, if they put them on YouTube, you can smell the beer from the from the Gent Six and hear the crushing of the plastic cups that are underneath the, the fans' feet in the centre circle. So we 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 maybe have some teething problems here, but but Kit, you think there's you think there's legs? You think this is something that is going to work or something just people should care about? I think it's going to work. Yeah, and I, it's, I'm really interested to see the next few rounds. I'm interested to see the London rounds because that is on a that they're doing rounds four and five on consecutive days on the first weekend of December. And I think that'll be, well, I don't know. I, th I think that'll be interesting. Although I suppose they're doing the same races. It'll be the same format both days, as far as I know. So I don't know. We'll see. But they're going to Lithuania yeah, and, then, and then Israel and then uh, London. So, yeah, I think it's going to be good. The question for me is whether they can sort of start to build a bit of narrative here, right? I mean, the whole point of having multiple part series is that you, you know, you've got leaders throughout and 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 lead changes and things like that, and obviously people need to, you know, people need to engage before that stuff really starts to matter. But it certain it seems to be pointed in the right direction. Track, I mean, we know track cycling has the capability of of capturing imaginations, right? It it has been doing this for a hundred years. It's had its ebbs and flows. Maybe this is a uh, maybe this is another high point. Fingers crossed. It seems to me it like ticks all of your boxes, Kaylee, about how cycling would be easier to get into. I feel like it sounds like it would be easier to get in, get into the Track Champions League than it would be able to get into like any road cycling because there's a specific number of riders and it's a small pool and there's five or six, five rounds. So it's not like it keeps going all year. It's like a very limited number of things that you actually have to keep keep track of. So it seems like 
it's a really great way to get people into cycling. Yeah, I suppose the one potential issue uh, is because they're doing the same races, as far as I know, the same races, the same people every round. If Harry Lavison turns up every week, that might be a, a, yeah. <laughs> a competition yeah. that's already over. So that, yeah. that is a potential <laughs> issue. It feels like it could use a couple of really big names, too. I mean, part of the reason why you had this big sort of blossoming of of track cycling five, six years ago is because you had like Wiggins showing up. Right. You had you had names that had already established themselves in the in the broader scope of of cycling fandom, which would be like the Tour de France. Cavendish, same thing. How do you pull some of those riders back into to something like this? I would literally put money on Cavendish jumping into this uh, next year or whenever his career is on the downswing. Yeah, which, which we thought it was a while ago. Be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it swung right back up. All right, time to move on from that topic. But uh, yeah, go check it out. Uh, it, it was uh, go watch the replay. Go check it out. Thanks for talking us through it, Kit. No problem. Next on my list of, of news items here, uh, we must mention the fact that Pipo Pizzato has COVID-19 uh, and specifically his quotes, which, which are interesting. Uh, the, the headline that we put up, that actually that Kit wrote this story on Saturday, unvaccinated Pipo Pizzato is on oxygen after contracting COVID-19. And the, the quotes from him were... were Dane, we were talking about this ahead of the ahead of the show here. Uh, they were quite, I don't know, humble, right? Like, there's obviously there's all the vax, anti-vax, blah 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 blah. I think his whole point was, I kind of screwed this one up, <laughs> right? I thought I'd be strong enough. I thought it wouldn't affect me. Turns out, you know, I was one of the percentage that it hit pretty damn hard and he's currently on oxygen uh we don't really know whether he's improving or not improving uh he mentioned that the fa- the fact that he does not yet have one of those oxygen masks he's just on oxygen i assume a little tube up in his nose or something but yeah he's, it, was, it was a very um it was a humble response to getting walloped by by this thing yeah i found him to be appropriately self-critical uh of the situation uh, and and uh, you know the things that he said, I think, were a, a, a good message for anybody who is in a similar situation. Uh, the, the whole kind of oh, I thought I'd be fine, and I clearly wasn't. Um, I, I think yeah, being so. I think being like viscerally reminded of your mortality is a pretty pretty uh, harsh and quick reminder of like, or it's a pretty quick way to bring you back to reality. Yeah. Yeah, there's it's there's a fair amount of kind of anti-vaccination sentiment within professional athletes in general. Like I know there's a, there's a quite a lot of this in European football, American football um, now, as it turns out. There's there's Amer- American football. Aaron Rodgers on his ivermectin horse dewormer or whatever the hell he was t- trying to take. Um, yeah, there's a fair amount of this from athletes because they're they're concerned about their bodies. They're concerned about the 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 side effects that come from the vaccine, right? And so. He's basically coming out and saying, well, that was not a I did not make that calculation correctly. <laughs> right. Particularly since he's retired. Anyway, we don't need to delve too far into this. Uh, we just wanted to, to mention it. And we liked his quotes. Like like you said, Dane, we liked the fact that he was appropriately self-critical for uh, what ended up being a poor decision on his part. Uh, please don't flood my inbox with. Uh, anti-vax nonsense i don't want to hear it we're gonna get we're gonna get so many comments on this i just don't i don't care you can you can spew anti-vax bullshit at me all you want i'm just going to ignore you can i just Uh, pizzato's a a surprising fellow around whether it's that comment or wasn't he the one that surprised everybody that he said he was going to go and do roller derby once he finished racing or something like that (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that sounds right yeah, he's also the one that put on the the first pro only gravel race quite recently. Uh, I wonder if that's where he got it. Anyway, let's move on from that. Our inboxes are full enough. We got to hear from Hammerhead. Yeah, the Hammerhead Karoo Two is a next generation cycling computer that brings the power of advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right to your handlebars. 
its advanced and industry-leading mapping, navigation, and routing capabilities. Set it apart from other GPS options so you can explore with confidence. Seamlessly import routes from Strava, Komoot, and more. Hammerhead's new exclusive climber feature lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time. Climber was designed and developed in collaboration with the world's best climbers. Proven in France, it earned Israel Startup Nation rider Michael Woods some time in the polka dot jersey. For a limited time, Cycling Tips podcast listeners can get a free Hammerhead heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code CYCLINGTIPS at checkout to get yours today. That's a free Hammerhead heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. When you go to hammerhead.io and use promo code CYCLINGTIPS only for a limited time. I would buy literally anything Dane sells. <laughs> that's, a, that's a power I didn't know I had. I feel like Dane should be reading audiobooks or something. Oh, I'm like, so honored. Thank you, Abby. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Hammerhead for sponsoring today's episode. Our next segment, we've had some breakthrough stars of the 2021 season. Now, up on cyclingtips.com. No one's going to tell me it's a great website? Great what website. a great website. The best. Thank as, you, Abby. The best, as Jesus. it turns out. <laughs> Up on cyclingtips.com, we currently have two different stories. One is six breakthrough riders in the women's peloton. Another is six breakthrough riders in the men's peloton. Now, we don't need to go through all 12. That is too many. But we wanted to want to talk about it. We want to maybe pick three, each of you. So these two stories were written by Abby and Dane. Abby, let's start with you. If you had to pick three breakthrough riders of the whole season, folks that people need to not just know about, but pay attention going into next year, who would those three be? Gosh, darn it. Pick from the six? Yep. Well, I think the first and foremost is probably the most obvious, and that's Demi Bollering. Um, It's really easy to forget that this was her first year in the world tour and she smashed it. I mean, she had an unbelievable season. Uh, she went from winning in the beginning and winning in the middle to winning the women's tour. So overall, I think she's definitely one to watch for the future and um, and the breakthrough rider of the year. Uh, close second would be Emma Norsgaard, who had an incredible season as well and is a little bit younger, a little bit more experienced in the women's peloton but for she just something this year just clicked for her and she she had an incredible year i think she's just amazing um i between the rest of them can i just rattle off their names do i have nope. to pick i'll just rattle off their nope. names nope i'm nope. just blatantly ignoring nope. you because if i don't just rattle off all their names i'm gonna but get you could just tell people to read the article <laughs> and then they'll get the names yeah you should read the article we're gonna te- um, we're gonna tease it you only get one. If you want to know Fine. the other three, you got to go on to cyclingtips.com. Great website. And check it out. Fine. Uh, if you want to know the the rest of the six, please read the article. But the final of this three, I would say, is Marlon Rusa, who um, was runner-up in a handful of the key time trials over the year, but also had some incredible road performances as well, including winning the first stage of the Saratizit Challenge by La Vuelta. So those are kind of three of the riders that really stood out for me um, this year. And I mean, there was a handful of, of ones that I couldn't put on the list, but overall, I think um, the future of women's cycling is bright. So definitely check out my article on cyclingtips.com. Dane on the men's side, what do you think? Yeah, there is a clear breakout rider of the year on the men's side. It's the rider who rode to second overall at Tour de France, Jonas Vingago. Uh, I think of the six, he's the clearest breakthrough candidate on the year because he also just, I mean, had a great season all around. Uh, he won a stage of the UAE Tour and did a bunch of other things in one-week races in the run-up to the Tour and then, you know, sort of thrust into this role of team leader at Jumbo Visma because of Primus Roglic, you know, crashing and, and ultimately abandoning. He he delivered and uh, came through with a really, really impressive performance and, and now that team has to figure out what are we going to do moving forward? We have a... Uh, Tour de France runner-up in, in Vingago and a Tour de France runner-up in Primus Roglic on this on this roster. Uh, so good for Jumbo Visma to have such a uh, bright young talent coming through this year. Uh, yeah, picking from the other five of the six, that's a tough call. Uh, 
let's go with Ethan Hader as a second option here for the for the pod. Uh, the Ineos Grenadiers, I feel like, had a well, they they have a heck of a roster. Everybody knows that they have four Grand Tour winners on the team. They've got a reigning World Time Trial champion, uh, Tom Pidcock, who may or may not have been a breakout rider on my list. Abby did not get to mention her other three, so I can't I can't confirm or deny whether he was one of the other three or not. Uh, just to be fair, but none of those riders was the winningest of the Ineos Grenadiers, a word that I love to use on this podcast because Australians and British people make fun of Americans for saying it. Winningest? They make fun of us for saying winningest? How else How else can you say the person who won the most? I don't know. Uh, and it was Ethan Hader. He had a heck of a season. He won just seemingly at will towards this kind of the second half of the year. Uh, he's got a fast finish, and he's a rider that I think they're going to be very happy to be relying on for big wins Moving forward, the team kind of put him mostly in smaller races this year, so we'll see if he can continue to deliver in things like Grand Tours. But, yeah, a lot of promise for young Ethan Hader. And the last guy I'll mention, not a traditional breakout candidate because he's on the other side of 30, um, on our side of 30, I should say, the, 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 this podcast's side of 30, um, <laughs> Sonny Cobrelli. Cool side he's of 30. He's not somebody that... The back pain side of 30. But also winning Paris-Roubaix, apparently. Uh, he, you know, he's been around for a while. He's been a rider that has been contending in smaller races for quite some time. He's been a you know good bet to win a kind of a hilly second-tier race for years. That's been his MO. But I think up to this season, he had only scored like two World Tour wins in his lengthy career. And then, yeah, 2021 was just a different beast for him. He had an awesome year, even in the run-up to Roubaix. Even, like, even if you don't include Roubaix, he had a great year. Uh, winning stages and and you know contending in some very big races, which was something that had been a an issue for him, and then he won Roubaix. So a uh, heck of a breakthrough campaign for Sonny Corbrelli, even though he's been around the, the the peloton for quite some time. There you have it. To read through the rest of those stories and and get a full picture of who we think were the breakthrough riders of last year, which means by default, folks that we think you should be looking at next year. Go check out cyclingtips.com. Last thing real quick before we get to today's nerd alert. I have a request for our Velo Club members out there. We are trying to determine the most iconic drop bar bicycle of all time. Of all time. It's a difficult challenge. We're going to need, to, we're going to need your help. In fact, there's going to be voting on this at some point in the next couple of weeks. At the moment, we're just making the big list. And we need... We need your help with this. So if you're a Velo Club member, pop over to the Velo Club Slack or we'll do a little locked forum post as well and let us know what the most iconic road, gravel, track, anything with a drop bar. That's the, that's the only rule. Most iconic bicycle of all time is. This isn't a... We've got some good candidates already. This isn't a difficult task at all. It's very, very easy. It's the Ma- Colnago Mappy C40 Beastie. It's that simple. <laughs> and if anybody's saying anything that different, has been, they're very, very wrong. That has been proposed. That has been proposed. It is on the list, but we'll we'll see whether it comes out on top, Shadi. I, I like its chances of making it into the final rounds. We are going to do, we're essentially going to seed these, and then we're going to do kind of bracket style and let people vote uh, to figure out what is the most iconic drop bar bicycle of all time. So head over to the Bell Club Slack or open up the Cycling Tips forum. Drop in your thoughts on that front. And now it's time for today's Nerd Nugget. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. James, Nerd alert. Nerd there is a Pinarello cross bike you want to talk about. What's going on with the Pinarello cross bike? Well, uh, Ronan actually just wrote up a little article the other day about uh, a new bike that Tom Pitcock is riding. Uh, he posted some pictures on his Strava account. Uh, it looks to be a new dedicated cyclocross race bike from Pinarello, uh, presumably to be called the, the Crossista, uh, which is what a name that they've used before, but it's just a new version of it, I guess. And um, whereas a lot of brands are kind of merging their gravel and cross bikes into one model, presumably for uh, for cost purposes. Uh, Pinarello is continuing clearly to to have a dedicated cross bike in its range. I, I guess the most obvious thing besides the name is the fact that it's got this very, very prominent kink in the top tube that is very obviously supposed to be where your shoulder sits, which is something that we used to see all the time with cross bikes. 
several years ago, and that feature kind of started to go away. Um, top tube is mostly level-ish, sort of, at least in the sense that you've got a lot of room in the front triangle to stick your arm through. Um, we don't know anything about the geometry right now or features, stuff like that, but uh, I think it's kind of neat that we are still seeing really you know, true, dedicated cross-racing bikes that are out there, and this, this looks to be uh, another one that's going to be launching pretty soon-ish. I kind of like the fact, and you know, people know my opinions of cyclocross here, but I kind of like the fact that it, they didn't try to smoosh the two things together, the, the gravel and the cross bike together, because that doesn't really work, does it? I mean, the, the, the geometries it, are quite it different. It kind of used to work when cross, uh, it kind of used to work when gravel bikes basically were just cross bikes with a little bit more clearance. Um, but those geometries are starting to diverge a little bit more. Like cross is, is still kind of prioritizing kind of quicker, low-speed handling and, and, and that sort of thing, whereas gravel has kind of just gotten to be a lot more stretched out and a lot more stable and lower, which those things don't really work that great in cross. Um, I What I think I really like about this in general is that with all the discussion of gravel bikes, one thing that some people might forget is that cross bikes have always made really good mixed-terrain kind of all-surface bikes or drop-bar bikes. And the only real difference now, I, I guess the, the, the biggest difference is that the, the tire clearances weren't always very good with cross because they were mostly kind of optimized for, for a UCI legal 33 mil tires, which is dumb. Um, but what, I, what I'm hoping to see on this Pinarello, uh, their, their current cross Easter gravel bike officially clears a 42. I'm hoping that this thing also has pretty generous tire clearance because what I like is that with manufacturers that still offer bikes with gravel geometry versus cross geometry. Cross geometry is really, really fun. So if you want to do a bunch of mixed surface riding, like you might do on a gravel bike or like with those sizes of tires, but you don't want handling that's kind of slow and lazy and super stable, if you want something a little more sporty feeling, then a cross bike is a really good option, hopefully assuming the manufacturer hasn't like cut out cut out all the things that would also make it useful, like you know more than two bottle mounts and, and, and that sort of thing. So but my fingers are crossed that this thing will still be at least kind of versatile um, because it looks like it would probably be pretty fun. I thought it was great. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the sort of like original gravel geometry. I'm thinking of like the original specialized diverge, like the aluminum one. It only fits like a 35 or something like that. 36 basically rides like a road bike. I still really like those. It's Frankly, it's an all-road bike is what it actually is what it actually is these days. It's not too far off of some of the road bikes that we're reviewing these days. So there you go. New cross bike from Pinarello. Kudos to them because uh, I think Pidcock was running. He wasn't racing a Pinarello previously. He's kind of been all over the place. He was on a Crocs for a while. Yeah, that's right. And then he was on a BMC mountain bike for a while and yeah. You know, when you ride for any awesome, Pinarello doesn't make the bike that you need. Gives you the freedom to go find what you want. I think that's it from us today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you go tell us what your most iconic drop bar bike is. If you're not already a member, become one. Get all kinds of great stuff. You get to hang out with us. And we're super cool. Everyone will agree. Everyone's making just a funny face at me now. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Cycling Tips Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye.